0: You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Today we are going to be starting out in uh, Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And we're going to be looking at uh, a story that Jesus tells um, and about a woman that is forgiven. Um... Overall, the the, the title of this message, uh, I gave it a title, I thought that was fun, Uh, is Do We See Our Forgiveness? And um, Let's just start with Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner... And Jesus answering him said to, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when he could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet I pray that you will hide your servant behind your cross, Father. God, let all of you be seen and none of me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. my prayer. Amen. All right. That last line of this, of this section is really what caught my eye whenever I read over this story. Um... Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So we have two parts, two people in this story that aren't necessarily Jesus, right? A a woman who is broken and at the feet of Jesus, and she is in love with him. And Jesus says it's because she was forgiven so much. And then we have a Pharisee that, uh, for all intents and purposes, should have been the one doing all those other things with Jesus. Um, But as I said, that last part, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That's the part that really got me thinking and concerned, right? Um, We as Christians, a lot of times, we can get caught up in what we're doing. We can get uh, distracted, I would suppose. And I, I, I thought, why does our love for Jesus not always show? Right? What what stops that? Uh, and so I got to looking and got to thinking about it. And that is what this this whole sermon is about. Like what things get in the way of us loving Jesus and loving others. Um, and so where we're gonna go is we're gonna go into the book of Isaiah, chapter thirty-one. And we're going to have a good chunk of scripture from Isaiah, and we're going to go through it parts at a time. But we're going to be over there for a little bit. So a little history before we get reading into this. As of right now, where the Israelites are in their story is they are currently about to be attacked and evaded by the Assyrians. And they are super afraid they're going to get wiped out by the people that are coming. And so they're frantic. They're looking for help. They're doing anything they can to figure out how can we survive this battle that's going to take place because we are going to lose. And they are super distressed about it. And then as it goes on, uh, one of the people, their their elders say, well, we can go and get help from Egypt because they have a strong army. They can help us. And with their help, we can defeat the Assyrians and then we'll be good. So that's what they're thinking That's what their their goal is right now. So at the very beginning of this section, Isaiah starts out and basically destroys their plan here. He says this, "'Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horses because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words.' but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem, and he will protect and deliver it, and he will spare and rescue it. So the first thing that I have written down for what gets in the way of our, forgive us, of what gets in the way of our love for God, and it is sometimes we are distracted slash afraid of what is going on in the world around us. Okay? We see everything that's going on and sometimes we are in trouble. We, we are afraid that we won't have enough money to make it through the month. We're afraid that health in our family is declining. We're afraid for a lot of reasons. Or we just get distracted and we think, "Yeah, I'm open. Right now, we worry that God might not be enough. Um, and whenever we look at this verse, that's exactly what the Israelites are doing. Okay? They are going and looking for help outside of what God has told them. He said, "What are those who right there, what are those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and chariots? Was there anything necessarily wrong with asking for help with the Egyptians by themselves? Right. If we have issues, right, we we're always told, okay, just get help, figure out what you need to do. Right. There's nothing necessarily wrong with going and getting the help that you needed. Right. The problem came with they had been told that God was going to take care of them and. They looked for help in Egyptians. They, the way it says it here, um, what is it? the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. They saw the world, and they saw what was coming at them. The problem was they didn't trust in the God that saves them, the God that will protect them. They saw the world and not the spirit. God is greater. Spirit is better than the flesh. When the world comes against us, we and of ourselves are weak, but God is greater than the world. The Israelites hoped that the Egyptians would save them, and not God. And in that as a result, the things that you hope to save you, was said earlier, will become an idol for you, right? What we put our hope in, what we put our trust in, is the thing that guides our life. If we think money is going to make everything better, our life is spent in the pursuit of money. If we think a relationship is going to make our life better, a relationship becomes our our idol. And we think that that's going to make our lives better. Anything that we put our hope in, aside from God, becomes an idol in our life, and in the same analogy here, becomes a master for us. You see, if the Israelites had gone to Egypt, who what who is Egypt in the story of the Israelites, right? Who were they before then? Before they all escaped and became their own nation, right? They were slaves in Egypt. Egypt were their slave masters. So what they're saying is: whenever we they face confrontation, I'm going to go back to the things that I know they can protect me, right? I'm going to go back to that same struggle that I had in hopes that it will bring me comfort and safety. And that's not what is going to happen. The only thing that we would find there is slavery, right? Idols do not free, right? We are enslaved to anything that takes us away from Christ. So what we see in our in our life, whenever we look and find something that can save us aside from Christ, we don't find freedom. We find slavery. And so God didn't want that for his people. He said, I am the one who saves you. I'm a lion that is not afraid of what's coming against him. So, those idols, those people that we hold so dear... Right, those, those sinful acts. What do we do with those? And it says in the next part, in verse 6, God tells us, uh, I like this section because it, 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 it gives you a problem and addresses it kind of right after. So in verse 6, it says, Turn to him from whom people have deeply revol- revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day, Everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which are in your hands, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrians will all fall by the sword of man, and the sword of man shall, and the sword not of man shall devour him, and he shall flee from the sword. And his young man shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert in a standard panic. Declares the Lord, who fires, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. And then from there it goes on to say how things that are wrong will be made right. And there's a whole good section of that. But what, what should we do when we are faced with the world? What should we do when we're faced with our fear that things aren't going to go right? As I said, there's there's nothing wrong with seeking help, right? If we are afraid that we're not going to have money, we can get a job. And is there anything wrong with that? No. The problem is, is whenever we think that that is what's going to save us, right? If I can get that job, then I'm secure. And that is not the case, Um, I do like, I'm going to go back a little bit because I skipped a point. Uh, In verse 2, And yet he brings disaster, and he does not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. So in those cases, whenever we are seeking somebody else instead of God, right? we are seeking somebody else to save us. At that point, we are what is called here uh, an, an evildoer. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. Sometimes God is against us for a reason. Um, We struggle for a reason. And those reasons are to help bring us to God. Because if we go and find something else, it says here that he will rise against the house. And even the things that we are hoping will save us are going to come down with us. God, there is no equal to that. God is God and he is good. But he says, Turn to me. That's his answer. What are you struggling with? Turn to me. That's what we should do. Turn to God. And he says, In that day, in that day, their idols that they've made with their hands will fall away. Notice it does not say, Get rid of your idols and then turn to God, and it'll be okay. It says, Turn to God. Face Him. See everything that He has to offer. See the love that He gives you and the idols that weigh you down, the things that are your slave masters. let go. Because you'll find that they're not, they don't satisfy. But whenever you see life in front of you, you can't help but to get rid of the things that hurt. You see good in front of you. So that's what it says. Turn to him from whom the people have deeply revolted. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver, which your hands of silver have sinned have made. The next thing that we should do is make him our ruler. Right? We turn to God and we follow him in those days. Whenever we are afraid, when if we have fear, it says here that he is a hiding place from the wind, from the shelter, and from the storm. Does that say, we're not going to have any more troubles now? right? It's like, oh, turn to God, life is perfect. No, there are storms that come, there's still life. Those Assyrians are still going to be coming at us. But it says here that we will have protection, we will have life. And not just any life, but a life that is ruled by a righteous king, where he makes everything right. Uh, it goes down, like I said before, of just a list of things. I suggest that you go and read it sometime, of things that are made right. So, the craving and the hungry, unsatisfied, and they are satisfied. Like, it just speaks the fool, speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity and practice ungodliness. Wait, is that the right part? Let's see. Yeah, hold on back here. Then the eyes of those who are closed shall see, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. He makes things right. So, for that part, uh, all we're going to do, when we fear, turn to God. Point one. right? That's what we do. Another thing that we do that keeps us from realizing who God is and what we do in our lives. um, Sometimes we are complacent. Um, which is different from being afraid. It's different from uh, not doing what we're supposed to. Complacent, as we read, let's look at this. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. In little more than a year you will shudder, you complacent women, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you who, women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourself bare, and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breast for the pleasant pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people, growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the city, in the exultant city. For the palaces forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. Complacency... In our lives, when we believe our lives are good, we get complacent. What that means, it's not necessarily like, oh, life's good, I'm, I'm fine. What it's talking about here is we are ignoring the truth of our lives. We, we sit there and we think, my life is fine, I, I don't need God. I don't need salvation I'm good. In this story, the women of the nation of Israel are completely ignoring the Assyrians. They've decided, we have harvest, we, life is good, it's currently that harvest season, we have plenty of grain, we're going to be fine, nothing's wrong, everything's okay. Right? It's like saying, yeah, there's a war out there, but I'm good. We're denying reality. Right? So, our complacency... When it comes to Christ, we deny where we stand with him. We are pretending we're okay when the truth is we're not. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we are in our lives, we imagine that I'm okay. My life is good. That's for somebody else maybe. Right? We deny that we even need forgiveness so there is no love. And this may seem a little harsh, but it also goes down to an even smaller level, like what I'm doing with my life is okay, however small that may be, right? Complacency is just imagining we're okay when we're not. And it says here that it is a very dangerous place to be. Whenever we deny that there's even a problem, there is no hope for that problem getting fixed, right? if we deny that there's anything wrong in our lives, if we deny a need for a Savior, there's no hope for a Savior to come. Right? We are trapped. And it is, it says here, it gives a very dark depiction of it. Beat your breast, like, break yourselves, hurt. Like, that's what you need to do to get out of... Complacency. We need to turn to Christ. Because we are imagining, we're hoping everything is going to be okay when we're deceiving ourselves. We're lying. And so we deny the forgiveness and the love of Christ because we say there is none in our lives. And we may not be intentionally saying that, but whenever we are complacent, that's what we are saying. Whenever we think... I'm okay. Life's great. We're denying the forgiveness that comes with Christ. So what do we do? What do we do with our complacency? What do we do with our our apathy? And it says, Until the Spirit is poured upon from high, in verse 15, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful fields. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places, and it will hail when the forest falls down, and the city will be utterly laid low. Happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. So, what do we do? Once again, forgiveness. Ask for repentance. Turn to the Spirit and says, until we do that, all the things that were said above it are going to happen. The things we trust in are going to destroy us. The things we rely on, are going to fail. But it says, until we get the Spirit, until the Spirit is poured out, and when the Spirit is poured out, there's righteousness. And I love what it says, justice will dwell, uh, and the effect of righteousness. What is the effect of righteousness? It says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. When we deny, right, that anything's wrong, what we're hoping for is peace. We're hoping everything is going to be okay, right? I'm denying that there's a problem. I'm going to ignore it, and my life will be okay. I can focus. I'm happy. We're just going to ignore that. And in the end, it's going to destroy us. But when we have righteousness the result of that righteousness is the very thing we were hoping for when we were denying what was going on. Righteousness is peace. We can see the troubles that we're having. We can see everything that's going on in our lives. And when we have righteousness, we can actually deal with them with God. Right? It may not be great. It may not be perfect. But with righteousness, there is comfort and peace that we have. It says here, my people will abide in peaceful habitations, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And it will hail when the forest falls down and the city will be utterly laid low. Uh, forests falling down and cities being destroyed generally aren't a good thing, right? We can agree with that. So, why do, then does it say right above it that we're going to live in peaceful habitations? We're not denying the truth. We're not denying that things are going to happen when we're with the Spirit. But he said there's peace when things happen. We are able to rely on the grace and love of God because we're with him. He gives us a peace that the Bible says that passes all understanding. Life's hard, but God is good. Right? And he's with us and he loves and cares for us deeply. And so, when the city falls down, when cities are destroyed, forests fall, we can still praise God. It says the people will hail, will still give praise, even in hard times, even though when it's hard, you know, we can still praise and love God because of what he's done for us. So, so far, this is what we have so far. Okay? We have what gets in our way. We have fear and when we are afraid we turn to Christ and we can see his love for us. When we're complacent we need to ask for forgiveness and see and treat life the way he wants it to be treated. The last thing that I think that that really hurts our ability to love Christ um, is when we're ashamed. A lot of times it, it, it hurts. Um, the first two are for, a lot of times, for, for people that are struggling with whether or not they know Jesus. Um, they're afraid they don't know what's going on in life. They're complacent because they, they don't want to admit that there's something wrong. But a lot of times I think most believers fall into this last part when our relationship with Christ suffers is because we are ashamed. We, we know who we are, right? <clears throat> Above everything else, we know we're a sinner, and we think I can't do anything else besides that. I'm just going to mess up. It's not good. Okay. So I just wanted to look real quick at back to Luke, uh, Peter. It's just a, a little look of being ashamed here. Peter denied Jesus, right? Denied him three times and then he ran away. I think he would be ashamed of that, right? We do that all the time. We deny, we deny Christ. We think my life's I'm, I, there's no point, like I'm not good enough for it. But in John, chapter 21, 15, 19. Sorry, I didn't actually read the, the Luke verse, but that's fine. Uh, that was just the story of him denying. We see that Peter's redemption in uh, John, chapter 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breaking breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay. Peter Jesus came to Peter, right? Peter denied him 3 times and then Jesus died. Right? That is a heavy burden on Peter's heart. And then Jesus came back. And he gives him this opportunity. He has breakfast with him. I can imagine that he's not feeling the best about it. And he just says, hey, Peter, do you love me? That's all he says. He just asks if he loves him. Oftentimes, in Christians' lives, when we are struggling, we focus on what we did wrong. We, we focus on the hurt that we're causing. We're focusing on uh, everything else but Jesus. And the funny thing is, whenever we get to Jesus, all he asks us is, do you love me? The thing is, Looking at this verse, if I were to compare it with the the verse of the sinner, of the woman that was crying at Jesus' feet, she said, you know, he was forgiven a a lot, loves a lot. He was forgiven a little, loves a little. So Jesus is not just asking Peter, hey, do you love me? He's asking things like, do you understand that you're forgiven? That love and forgiveness go together with that. Do you understand that I already forgave what you did? Do you understand that when you're with me, there is no condemnation anymore for sin? There's no more guilt that's required. I forgive you and I want you to know that. Do you love me? So a lot of times whenever we are hurting and we we think we're not good enough for Jesus, all we need to know, all we need to ask ourselves is, do I love Jesus? Do I understand that I'm forgiven? Do I understand that He loves me? And that, that changed my world. I know Jesus loves me and He steps into my misery and forgives me. He wants us to know that we're forgiven. And what do we do after we are forgiven, right? We, we get that relationship back and we, we fall and we worship and we love the Lord. But what do we do with that love? And I love that, what Jesus says to Peter as well. Yeah, After he asked, do you love me? He says, yes. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? It means care for other people. It means bring them to Jesus. It means love people, have compassion. Let that love that you have for Jesus go to others. And it's like literally feeding people. It is nurturing, it's caring, it's life giving. Because people are in that stage somewhere. They're either looking for something that is destroying their lives drugs and alcohol for one here. Right, they're looking for something that saves them and they're not going to find it. Or they're just denying that everything is okay. I'm fine, I don't need God. My life's okay. I'm not going to worry about it. Or they just don't think that they're worth it. There's no, they think there's no love in their life or that they themselves are unlovable. That is so far from the truth. God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we're at our worst, when we hated him, he loves us. And that is what the gospel is about. It's about getting a relationship back with the God who loves you. And we get to live in that life with him. It's not about going to heaven. It's about living with Jesus and the love he has for us. So I pray that we can show that love to other people. I pray that if you were in one of these categories, that you can turn and let your idols fall away, that you can trust in God. I pray that you can see in your life that, you know, there is a problem that I'm, I'm missing. My life, it doesn't have that love in it. I pray that you can come and talk to Ross, Martin, me, you know, somebody, and get the love of Jesus you can feel it for yourself because he loves you so much let's pray God thank you for this opportunity I was given Lord I pray that as we go through the rest of this week that we can return our love to you Father that we can put our trust in you and, and not what we see in the world I pray that we Admit to ourselves the things where we go wrong and we think we're okay. And Lord, I pray that we can live in your forgiveness and know that you love us. Be with us as we go throughout this week, Father. Help us to love others. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.